tonight is a super cool night. Um, one of our family members here, we, we say forever family around here, and uh, Les Coleman, who was uh, one of the people that really helped us start Celebrate Recovery here. Yeah. Les Coleman uh, passed away recently, and we're having her memorial service tomorrow at 11 a.m., and that'll be in the venue, which is where the landing goes. Speaking of the landing, if you're in junior high or high school, head on over to the venue, because I missed my cue to dismiss you, so get out of here. But uh, they're gonna go set up for the funeral tomorrow. It'll be a really, really great evening for you guys. It'll be super fun. Um, just kidding, they're not setting up for the funeral. That would be horrible. What'd you guys do at church tonight? We set up for a funeral? Like, dude, come on. But anyhow, tomorrow we're gonna have a great time celebrating less and hearing stories and hearing how she impacted so many people's lives. Um, it'll be a great time to remember her. And tonight we even get a bigger blessing. And uh, she shared her testimony many times here on this stage and a remarkable woman. And this 25 minute testimony will not capture everything of who she is. And it's just amazing. And so tonight we get to hear her story and I know it's a little bit different than having somebody up here live, but we do have two screens, and so we guys pay attention to the screens as Les comes up to share her story with us tonight. Transformed her life. You guys oh, there I am. Les as she comes up onto the stage this evening. <laughs> Let's pray. O oh Lord, most holy Lord, you took my despair and put joy in its place. O oh Lord, most holy Lord, thank you for your healing grace. And Lord, thank you for letting me share these words you've given me. And above all else, let there be less of me and more of you. Amen. Amen. My name is Les, and I'm a believer who struggles with chemical dependency, codependency, spending addiction, and food addiction. I was taken in at three days old and raised in a... Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, once again, my name is Les, and I'm a believer who struggles with chemical dependency, codependency, spending addiction, and food addiction. I was, hi. <laughs> I was taken in at three days old and raised in a foster home with a very dysfunctional family. My foster parents were very rigid Catholics and ran a religious shop where they sold Catholic items. One minute I'd be getting hugged for something and the next I'd be getting my head beat in for the very same thing. But this was the only family I knew. I wanted so much to be a full-fledged member of any family and not just a foster child that I tried very hard to please, but it was never quite good enough. I'd always heard the admonition repeated back in my mind, you stupid jerk, you can't do anything right. My foster mother would throw up to me that they weren't my real family and how lucky I was that they were willing to put up with me. She would yell that my real mother had just left me because she didn't want me. It wasn't until an argument with my foster sister and the statement where she called me illegitimate that helped me validate how badly I felt about myself. This type of thing was whispered about a lot a lot back then, and I would wonder if all my friends and neighbors knew my terrible secret. As I got older, this statement would be thrown up to me frequently in arguments with the family. I was going to be a tramp, just like my mother. It influenced my feelings about love and my own sexuality. 
In my head, I felt as though I was damaged and I became emotionally and physically incapable of having a relationship with a man. Somehow I knew no man would want such damaged goods. My mother was a rageaholic and would scream and swear at me over and over again while my father was a pacifist and though he hated that we would fight, he did nothing to intervene. I fought back with anger and my own rage because it was all I knew to defend myself, though I hated it at the time. Periods of physical abuse by my mother followed the emotional abuse, and I would have to lie about a wound on my forehead or arm to anyone who might ask. My father was very distant and rarely showed any kind of emotion towards me. He never did come to any of my school affairs, my Girl Scout father-daughter activities, or even to my high school graduation. The morning I left for the Navy, he didn't even get up to say goodbye. As a youngster and teenager, I longed for some kind of closeness by him, and I resented his coldness for many years. When I was two years old, I came down with polio, which affected my legs, back, and neck. I could not sit up or walk, so that meant constant care by my foster parents. The visiting nurse came to the house once a day and showed them how to massage my legs. This went on for two and a half years until I was able to start sitting up again. At that time, they would sit me on a tricycle and tie my feet to the pedals and wheel me around the house or yard to exercise my legs. I had no control over my body and was completely dependent on others. When my legs got stronger, they started me on tap dancing lessons to exercise them. I was five years old by this time, and as I felt physically stronger, I also was starting to feel some independence. But this didn't seem to be okay with my parents. We didn't have a car, so we walked everywhere we went. Only they made me ride in a kid's stroller until I was seven years old. I hated it and told them I wanted to walk, but they would just say no because I was too weak to walk on my own. I felt embarrassed and self-conscious, but it seemed that this was the role I was supposed to play in this family, that of a sick child who can't take care of myself. As I got older, I always felt like I owed my foster parents my life because they kept me during this time. And there were constant reminders from them as to how much they had given up in order to keep me and take care of me, not only during this time, but all the time. But I've really come full circle on all of this. God has shown me through his healing grace how much my foster parents must have loved me in their own way, or they never would have taken care of me and during this time, and I could have been laying immobile in a children's home somewhere for all those years and might never have walked again. One thing I wasn't aware of till these past seven years from my foster brother was that they even shipped out all of their own natural kids to aunts, uncles, and neighbors during the contagious stage so I could be cared for at home. I was being raised Catholic. When I was eight years old, I completed my religious instructions so that I could make my first communion. This was a very important thing in my family, and I was very excited about it. When the day came for the nuns to pass out the white veils and purses to all the girls, the priest came over to me and said I would not be able to receive my communion. He didn't say why and told me to go home and talk to my mother about it. I remember going home and sobbing. My foster mother just said it was due to some rule the church had about being baptized Catholic without my real mother's permission. What that meant for me was, from that point on, I could not receive any additional religious instructions, go to confession, or ever receive communion. I did not understand the legalities of it all, and from that time on until I was 18 years old, I would still go to church every Sunday 
and sit there by myself as the whole family got up and went forward to receive communion together. I used to feel I must have done something awful in God's eyes to not be worthy of receiving communion or confession. God seemed like a very judgmental God and somehow I was bad. I thought maybe it all had to do with my being illegitimate. I didn't ever see or get a feeling of a God who's supposed to be loving and forgiving. In my recovery, I've come to know the Lord in a very different way. He no longer has my foster parents' voice and attitude for me, but rather a graceful acceptance of me where I am on my path of growth. One of the saving graces for me back then were my experiences with the Girl Scouts and my camping experiences. These were places where, even if I didn't realize it, I found God in the beauty of his creation early in life. I always thought, too, that these were some of my more carefree and happiest times. I continued to hope that someday I would be good enough to be adopted by my family, and as I was approaching my 12th birthday, my foster parents told me that they were going to adopt me. They even announced it to my Girl Scout troop, so it had to be true. Why else would they tell others? My dream was coming true after all. This family that I wanted so much to be a part of actually wanted me too. I told everyone I knew that I was going to be adopted and part of a real family. But something happened that I never quite understood back then, and the next thing I knew, the adoption was off. It felt like a cruel joke. I had gotten my hopes up so high but I was living in a dream world because there I was again on the outside looking in and that was the way it was to remain for me. I learned again that hope doesn't pay. I carried this dream with me into my adult life of someday being a real member of a real family, but I was always afraid to hope too much for fear that it would all turn out to be a cruel joke again. Then I had the opportunity one day to meet a family that would change my life. This family, Jim and Sonia Hemman, and their two boys would become a real family to me. I started babysitting their two boys off and on, and they invited me to be a part of a worship group that they were in. Little by little, I started doing more things with them, and Jesse and Nate became like real nephews to me. I was growing to care for Jim and Sonia very much as a couple, and they seemed to care for me, even with my faults. The boys even seemed to consider me as an aunt. As time went on, I started doing things with other family members, and I was embraced by their whole family. I learned that there were no second-class citizens in this family. I now have a very strong history with them, and I've allowed my, myself to become a first-class part of them. I spend part of most holidays and in the past frequent vacations with them also. This is also another area that I've come full circle on these past few years as I've learned from my foster brother why they probably never adopted me. It turns out they were receiving foster care payments and these would have stopped if they adopted me. Financially, the family was always struggling, though we never lacked for anything as far as food, clothing, and shelter. So I don't blame them for that now. And in fact, God has truly brought beauty instead of ashes. As Isaiah 61.10 says, because he has personally adopted me into his family of believers, and I can now call him Abba Father. God had already had a plan to fill this need of mine in the future. Which brings me to another chapter of my recovery journey that I hadn't shared until recently, which is what it was that brought me to California to begin with at age 27. One night in the middle of the night back in New York, I received a phone call from a man who said, Leslie, there's someone here who'd like to talk to you. This is your mother. 
I was shocked and floored. She wanted me to come to California, all expenses paid, to get to meet her. I was so overwhelmed, but I knew I'd always wanted to meet her. I told her I'd have to think about it. Ironically, at the time, I was working at a residential treatment center for dependent, neglected, and mostly disturbed children as a counselor. So, after some prayer, a day or so later, I called her and told her I'd come. And initially, the overall experience was powerfully amazing. I mean, if you've never ever wondered who you look like or have the same mannerisms, it was like seeing myself 25 years later. We sat up and talked for nights until 1 to 3 a.m. In the, in the morning, if you've ever wondered what nature, about nature versus nurture, I was always poor in math and good in English, and so was she. I also majored in sociology in college, and she minored in that. I like to buy greeting cards for special occasions and have bags of greeting cards. She had boxes and boxes of greeting cards. Anyway, it was, as I said initially, quite an experience, but then I decided to actually move out here to get to know her better, which is what she and her husband said they wanted. But in so doing, she was trying to play the mother, and I was trying to play the daughter, and that wasn't what our relationship was. But she had apparently, all those years, thought of me as her daughter, but I never thought of her as my mother. Also, as it turned out, she was in the middle of a terribly violent separation from her current husband here in Modesto. And I'm sorry to say that it turned out, according to them, finally, that the reason they wanted me out here to begin with was that somehow they thought this would hold their marriage together. I never did understand that, but I'd moved out here 3,000 miles to get to know her and was now working for Stanislaus County here in Modesto. So she finally had this violent divorce and moved away. I felt as though she had deserted me once again. She had told me her side of the story, which was that she had left me with my foster parents when I was two years old and moved to Arizona to take a job there with the intent of sending for me. But when she tried to send her roommate, who was an airline stewardess, to come pick me up, my foster mom just told her I was too sick to travel, though they never mentioned that I had the polio. After that, I don't know why exactly she never pursued things, and at this point in my life, it didn't matter that my foster parents told me she was a tramp. All that mattered was that I came to know her before she died. She was a good Christian woman who obviously made some mistakes in life. It was very difficult for me because neither family wanted to have anything to do with the other family. They did not want to talk about anything. Neither my foster family nor my biological family was honest with me or with each other. One of the things I learned through it all was that the grass is not always greener on the other side. I also learned that God had a plan for me from day one, a plan that carried me here to California where I'd come to understand who I am as his child and not either mother's dysfunction could change the gifts he's given me through his son, Jesus Christ. I praise God for bringing me here and for where he has me now on my recovery journey. There's a saying that goes, don't stay where you're tolerated, go where you're celebrated. Those places for me are Celebrate Recovery, Big Valley Church, and Funstrummer's Ukulele Band. I truly can call these places home and my real family be it the family of God. God has given me what my heart has longed for all these years, a family I can love and that love me back. What a great honor and privilege to be part of my Lord's family. And as far as being illegitimate in my mind, 
God has shown me over and over again through his word that I am his. Psalms 139, 13-16 states, You created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret places, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So I am not an illegitimate child, but a true child of the king. And I'm also definitely not damaged goods to any man, as Jesus himself is my husband. As Isaiah 54, 5 says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. As a young adult, I strove for perfection in everything I did with the attitude that everything was not quite good enough and mediocrity was never an option. Other people's wishes and desires were above mine and my main goal was to please everyone. I could never give enough and I was told over and over again that I had nothing to offer or give to anyone. I felt that I was the constant victim in every relationship I had. Though I hated this role, it was familiar to me from growing up with the polio. At 18 years of age, I entered the Navy and became a cryptographer with a top secret clearance. I was the only girl in a class of 60 guys, and I made sure I allowed no man to come near me for fear that I'd become a tramp, just like I was told my mother was over and over again. I wasn't going to allow that to be said about me. After that, I was always in a state of depression during my college years, as I'd been during my high school years. I transferred to the University of North Carolina at Greensboro my sophomore year from the University of Nebraska, and there a friend kept inviting me to go with her to, meet, to a meeting of the Full Gospel Student Fellowship. She had been raised Catholic also, so one night when I had no other excuses to give, I decided to give it a try. As it turned out, the preacher was speaking about just what was on my mind, and afterwards we went to a Christian coffee house on campus and listened to the music there. My heart was touched by the worship music, and when I left, I went home back to the dorm, knelt on the floor, and prayed the sinner's prayer, and at that moment received eternal salvation and made Jesus my Lord and Savior of my life. From then on, I couldn't get enough of Bible study and prayer groups on campus, but then my foster mom had a heart attack, and very soon after that, I dropped out of school to help out at home while she recouped. I wasn't able to get more involved in Bible studies or my faith at that time. After moving to California, I worked as an eligibility worker in AFDC for Stanislaus County for seven and a half years. The job was very stressful. I had gone to a doctor and a counselor off and on for anxiety and was diagnosed as schizoaffective bipolar type. Yet, yet the meds that I was given Oh, enough were enough to help me keep this illness under control. Only as usual, I was a perfectionist and had to do everything just right. So I became a workaholic and I'd work night after night from 10 to 12 a.m. in the morning just to keep up with how I felt the job had to be done. Again, mediocrity was not an option. So I eventually went off on disability and decided to quit the welfare job. I headed instead for a secretarial job in the front office of an agricultural lab for nine years. During this time, I struggled with the schizophrenia and had two breaks with reality, but I was able to keep it under control enough 
that just taking off work for three weeks at a time was enough to help me out. Receiving communion as a Christian has always been an extra special thing for me, particularly due to my past experiences in the Catholic Church. I decided to also take the step to attend a Catholic Church one Christmas Eve for the first time in years. Only this time I brought my little inner child, eight-year-old Les, with me, and we received communion together. I thought my relationship to God and others was right on, but I never experienced God's grace the way I've come to know it on my journey now. All of this internal conflict created such physical tensions that I first started having severe migraines and stomach problems in my adult life. As a result of this very real pain, I became addicted to prescription medications. I would continually pray from Philippians 4, 6-8, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. But my anxiety levels were so high and I was so rigid that when I prayed, I was as stiff as a board. During this time, I attended NA for a few years. Finally, I admitted my need and admitted myself to a 30-day inpatient reality program for narcotics. And then later on in life again, I was admitted to another 30-day program called Nirvana. I'd like to say I'm completely free of my chemical dependency, but I still struggle with my migraine headaches, though I'm no longer addicted to the prescription drugs. I started my path of recovery in 1989 through the CARE, Changing Attitudes in Recovery, Self-Esteem, Self-Help Groups. I was very active in that group from its beginning, and I served on its steering committee. However, around 1996, my chemical imbalance was at its peak, and while working at community hospice as medical record secretary, I needed to be hospitalized three different times before I finally hit bottom and was put on permanent disability and really strong meds to control my mental illness. Following this initial period of psychiatric determination, I was hospitalized over the next few years at the VA around 10 different times and went through a period of trial and error with numerous different psychiatric drugs control my illness before coming upon one that finally stabilized me. While in the hospital and laying on the floor on my face, surrendering to the throne of my Lord, a nurse shared with me the scripture from 2 Timothy 1.7, for he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I wrote this out and put it on my locker in the hospital so I could read it and claim it, and to this day it holds meaning for me. About 21 years ago, I started attending Big Valley Grace on a full-time basis, and I got plugged into a single woman's Bible study. Then, in 2003, I started attending Celebrate Recovery during its inception. I had been attending the Caring Grace groups, the Christian component to care, and learned many tools for growth there. So this fit right into place to me as an addition to my growth as a Christian. I started out in the Women's Chemical Dependency Group, but quickly discovered that the reason I had chemical dependency issues was because I was so codependent. So I switched to the codependent group and co-facilitated it until about six years ago. At that time, I switched to the food addiction group and now help co-facilitate that group and in working my recovery there. I've been through the 12-step groups four times and have co-led three 
It has been there, along with my Bible study groups, that I met with other women where we prayed together, studied together, laughed together, and cried together with members of my family and watched him make big changes in our lives. I call all of these relationships my stretcher-bearer friends, and it is there that I have really experienced God's healing grace. Over the past period of time, I've been blessed to serve on the CR team as one of the e-coaches, and am now semi-retired and serving as the encourager emeritus on the team. I also co-facilitate Recovery Modesto groups for co-occurring issues of mental health plus addiction of any kind. These 12-step studies and my Bible studies have been the most important things that have contributed to my growth as a Christian, and the step that affected me the most, I think, was step number two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. There have been times in my recovery when I have just had to be still and let God take over because I was so close to insanity and not knowing what was real or not that my life was out of control. Now working this step and all the other steps on a regular basis has changed my relationships with other people. I am not so needy anymore and do not strive to please everyone all the time in everything I do. I'm learning to set healthy boundaries and to notice when I'm in the victim mode and then allow myself to change that and to move from survival to living in my new nature. At least I'm still a work in progress, even at my age. I do not have to do everything perfectly anymore and have come to feel God's healing grace on the wounds of my past. It makes me feel really sad that things were as they were for me growing up, but it's no longer overwhelming. I realized that my foster parents had their wounds too. And though I lost my foster brother seven years ago and am ironically the only sole survivor with the Coleman family name, I press on. Now I actually feel my life is much fuller than I'd ever imagined possible. As I'm kept busy serving as an encourager coach emeritus to the CR team and also enjoying other church activities. I also enjoy playing gigs with the Funstrummer's ukulele band all over the valley. I'm still co-facilitating the, co the food addiction group in CR, and I'm learning that nothing tastes as good as the peace of God feels. <laughs> My walk with God is closer now than it's ever been, and I know that's all due to his healing grace. Through it all, I've come to realize the saying that God doesn't waste a hurt is so true. My recovery is an ongoing process, and my encouragement to newcomers and others is to get yourself involved in a small group fellowship and a 12-step study if you're not already in one where you can study and learn and feel safe to just be who you are with one another as you invest in each other's lives on a weekly basis. Also, this past year, I was diagnosed with dementia and put on Alzheimer's medication. At first, I was really blown away as I took a deep look at what my future held and all the unknowns that dementia brings with it. It's really a scary thing, and since I have no family here to speak of that will help take care of me as the dementia gets worse, I'm learning to surrender over my fears to him. I've since realized that dementia is just another season in time that's a part of life, and so I'm in the process of relaxing into it, knowing God will take care of me if I just let go and turn it over to him. Also, I've received an offer from another CR friend and her husband to move with them to Idaho in approximately two and a half years, I hope. I'll live nearby or in a granny's cottage behind their house. Many thanks to my dear friend Sarah and her husband Dean. 
I also want to thank my brother Jim H. for welcoming me into his family those many years ago and for helping me get started on my journey to recovery and giving me those many tools to growth and change. I particularly want to thank Pastor Scott Miller for his constant encouragement and support for me in my recovery and always coming alongside me with positive words and always seeing the best to me. I thank you deeply. I want to close with Jeremiah 29 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. O Lord, most holy Lord, you took my despair and put joy in its place. O Lord, most holy Lord, thank you for your healing grace. Amen. Thanks for letting me share my story. <laughs> Amen. If, uh, if, if you had the privilege to know less, she was an amazing, amazing woman. She never did make it to Idaho, but uh, she was a phenomenal woman. I love her. Had many good uh, meetings with her, and she was a hoot. Like, she was a blast. I had so much fun with her. Um, but tomorrow, just a reminder, if uh, what she shared touched your heart and you want to um, show honor or respect to her, and this is your way to do it, we'd encourage you to show up tomorrow and uh, be there, and we'll be in the venue, and that'll be at 11 a.m. tomorrow morning. So I encourage you to do that. I forgot one announcement. We have chip night coming up, and we were correct. It is March 29th. So it's March 29th from 6.30 to 8.30 free dinner. No dinner beforehand. We're going to eat in here as a family together that night um, at 6.30. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. So uh, cool things happening. We'll tell you more details next week. But let's close our time with a serenity prayer. Let's stand up and pray. Um, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. And a light show. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, first time guest right across the hallway. Second time guest right up front. Love you guys. See you guys at dessert.